Welcome to Girl Talk with your host, Melissa Ann. Girl Talk is that show which discusses the real issues black women face being a mom, a dad, a wife, a girlfriend, a sister, a co-worker, a therapist, or whatever hat black women wear on any particular day. Why? Because black women are just dope. Without further ado, here is your host, Melissa Ann. Welcome to Girl Talk with your girl, Melissa Ann. What show we have today with our author, Anissa Blair. Woo! We excited to have um, Anissa and her very, um, in her accomplishments, so she can talk through some of her accomplishments. But today we are talking about mental health and childhood trauma and how those things show up in different areas of our lives. So without further ado, I want to um, introduce Anissa and have Anissa talk a little more about herself and then jump into our conversation. Anissa, so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm letting the studio audience, you know, get their clap on and then I'll, I'll chime in. <laughs> Remember, Thank I'm you for hog. That's all you yeah. get. Right? <laughs> that, that's it. Okay, we're over it. Thank you so much for having me, Melissa. Yes, I am Anissa Blair. I am a author. I am a blogger. But more importantly, I'm a survivor of child molestation. So I, I don't wear that like a badge of honor, but I wear that like a badge of honor if that makes sense because a yep. lot of us don't make it through it and uh, I am a testament to with a lot of hard work and self-realization and self-acceptance that's super important you can you can um, overcome and be a hundred million times better than what you could ever possibly imagine that you could be and I too am a product of molestation but I got to tell you, I'm, it, while you were saying that in, a, in my head, I was like, me too, girl. But now I feel like for the first time, that Me Too movement that's out there, that's I really I realized what that was because there are so many of us that people are saying, me too, me too, me too. So it's something that, you know, especially black women, there's not one that I've, and even Hispanic, that I've come across that hasn't been molested in some type of way in childhood, which is bad. It's, that's a bad testament to our society and how young women are treated. I think that because we have to also understand childhood trauma didn't start with our situations those people those perpetrators who or predators or pedophiles who did this is a product of their own childhood trauma right so it's not something that just manifests out the clear blue sky it, it, it manifests from generation to generation to generation and it obviously over time it just becomes a this huge snowball effect and then it takes it to a level to where for me it was not only one person it was two people at the time, of course, you know, hindsight, you think this is is um, a product of love. He loves me. They love me. Therefore, I have to be willing to submit to this because it's making them feel good. They're smiling. They're happy. And I'm supposed to be smiling and happy because this is love, right? This is what love you looks like, love? feels like. I didn't think it was that they didn't love me. I think because I had such... A troublesome childhood, not in the aspect I wasn't, I'm not going to tell, I wasn't from foster care to foster care. I was a product of uh, divorced uh, 
parents, which that's no, that doesn't mean anything. I'll say that. And then I think, you know, I, I will say my mother did the best she could with what she knew, but my mother was from that generation to where I'm, I'm providing you with necessities. I'm making sure you got food to eat. I'm making sure you got clothes on your back. So I'm covering that. So that nurturing part of her, I don't think she had the capacity or the capability to give me. So I kind of, even though I was the only child, which is so weird, I kind of fell between the cracks, if that makes sense. And the attention that I wasn't getting from her, I was getting from them and I didn't put two and two together. So you know what, this, you know, we didn't talk back then, at least my generation, I think we were around the same age. We didn't, we, our parents didn't do that good, good touch, bad touch with us. We just said no. Didn't you didn't get the birds and the bees talk. You, I know my mom, my dad definitely didn't have it, but my mom was just like, "Come home pregnant." That was your birds and bees talk. Yeah. End of sentence. Period. At the end of the sentence, come home pregnant. Period. That was your birds. Conversation <laughs> was yeah. like when you're 16 or 17, which it obviously should have taken place a long time before that. And also from their generation, I don't think their generation. Well, at least my parents were much older when they had me. They were born in the 20s. So they didn't necessarily have um, nurturing when they grew up. So they're not naturally going to nurture their children when, when as we grew up. So we didn't right. have that, as you noted. Right. So I just think that, so that's why ever since I came to that realization, um, like from the time that I was about seven or eight to about 11, I experienced traumatic events that at the time weren't, I didn't see them as traumatic. I saw it as I got older, it started to make me feel very uncomfortable, but I felt like I can't say anything. I love them. I don't want them to get in trouble. I don't want anything bad to happen to them. And then it was like from like 12 until 16, it went away because I got older and it was like I just blocked it like I didn't even I remember distinctly one day saying why don't I like him anymore this was like m my favorite uncle by marriage why don't I like him anymore but I could never put two and two together I just thought it was because you know I'm older now I'm driving so I'm not spending as much time in that area because he lived in the same area as my grandmother and now I'm driving so I'm not spending that much time over there so maybe we just grew apart I never put two and two together until the bottom fell out for me when I was 25 years old and that's mm -hmm. when I had a nervous breakdown that's when I contemplated I begged and begged and begged and pleaded with God to take my life just let me go to sleep and never wake up again um, because the realization of all of that stuff it, it like fell on me like uh, two tons of bricks, like everything from what one did to the other did. And then I started kind of feeling like this is why I've done, I went through a stage of being promiscuous, you know, trying to find myself and, and thinking because I already had a warped sense of what I thought love looked like, right? So I thought love was submit yourself, even if it doesn't make you feel good, do it because they like it. So I go through this phase and I'm just going to be honest with you, the whole phase where I'm looking for love and I'm thinking the way that I show that I love you or that I'm interested in you is to give myself my body. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a byproduct of could be. It wasn't a byproduct for me, and it's not a byproduct. Everybody's different. Like somebody might right. say a product of molestation they use in drugs, or it could be uh, pr- promiscuousness. It it wasn't necessarily for me. I don't. And but I think when you connect childhood trauma, when you're shifting a little bit, how do you look at it from a perspective of how, where does it show up in different areas? And that's what you're saying. Your childhood trauma shows up in different areas of your life. You may have forgotten about it, but it does. It's still there, manifesting, and it's almost like growing. Would you agree? Absolutely. The challenging part when you have this epiphany or realization as an adult is trying to now break it down into segments because now you're looking at your actions or those actions from an adult perspective, right? So now you're starting to question yourself like, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Because now you're the adult part of Anissa kicks in it's like okay well you should have told somebody you 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 obviously didn't mind because you didn't share it with anybody so now you have to now you're beating yourself up for something that you had totally no control over none but that's the part yeah none like i don't care what anybody says anything that has been done to you inappropriately you didn't do anything to make it happen you didn't do anything to continue to make it happen that is a product of some people who have their own mental health issues right what do you think the effects of some of the childhood trauma has on your mental health self-doubt not openly and without prejudice accepting all of me Um, and then at the same time in this weird way feeling this overwhelming feeling of needing to be perfect. That's my own personal experience. Feeling like I've got to be perfect. Like every damn I has got to be dotted. Every T's got to be crossed. If it's not, if I'm one off, then I'm not good. I'm not good enough. That was just, that's my personal experience. I know I did. You know, I'm trying to, you know, I have three children. I have a soon to be 25 year old which I think probably caught the brunt of it because I had him right in the middle of my crisis. Like, you know, he was born when I had my nervous breakdown and I prayed for God to take me because I thought he would be better off without me. Cause I just, I felt that unworthy, that unfit of a woman. And, um, once I didn't, I realized what happened. Then I went in full mode of protection. I got to make sure whatever I do, nothing like this ever happens to him. I'm going to swallow him and I'm going to keep him tight and I'm going to make sure, you know, he has this, this type of life where I think hindsight, I probably at a certain degree did him a disservice because I did not allow him to experience certain Um, things. I'm a witness. I did the same. You know. Does your friend have a brother at the house? Do they have a brother that you can't stay the night? You know, if we he going never got to go to sleepovers. Yeah, yeah, no, it was just really, really, really overbearing. Yeah, I wanted to control the environment. Yeah. So he never had sleepovers where he went to someone else's house. Now, if he wanted to have sleepovers, they had to come to my house. I was cool with yeah. that. But I never felt comfortable sending him to someone else's house. Yeah, and it's not even control controlling the environment, but you're also controlling the narrative. You're controlling the narrative in an event that you don't want the same thing that happened to you to happen to 
your children. Right. And then fast forward. Now I have a 13 year old and a soon to be 12 year old. And I'm now still trying to undo some damage from the from the perspective of love yourself regardless of what anybody says. You, you don't have to be perfect to be perfect. I think they picked up on my actions. It wasn't my words, but I think that I put I had so much going on in my mar in that second marriage to where I had completely lost myself and I was heavy on depression and I was just seriously Melissa going through the motions get up in the morning get dressed take them to school I was just hanging on by a thread because I had not yet found the right coping mechanism, the right therapist to deal with the stuff that had happened 20 and 30 years ago. When you're in the thick of it, you're not thinking about therapy until you're at your wit's end. When you're at the wit's end is when you start to think, okay, maybe I should uh, look for somebody to talk to. But while you're in the thick of it, I don't think many of it and this should be a testament to the listeners here today is that you don't have to wait till you're at your wits and you don't have to wait till you're having a nervous breakdown or you're contemplating suicide or you're you're you know doing things that are outside of your character you know for me it was a, a lot of things being so bitchy and you know just like if you couldn't say yes. something and i i was i was like I okay was on it I'm going to get yes. you before you get me. Hello. And then that, that was, was it. But yeah. see, you know, the, um, that's survivor mode for us. Yeah. And I had that same mentality. And, and I think it hit me where I went on this serious journey of self-discovery was about two or three years ago. Um, one day my son said, why are you so angry? And he asked me a simple question. It could have been, what are we having for dinner? Right. And he could have followed it up with what time is dinner or something like that. And I've always had this. I got a two question maximum. Don't hit me with over two questions at a time. Or I'm just going to go completely ballistic because that's just too much going on at one time. And he said, why are you so angry? And then, of course, in turn, you know what happened? That shit pissed me off. Right. Uh -huh. <laughs> and right. then later on that day, I was talking to my husband. I was like. I am angry. Why am I angry? And then that's when I started peeling back the layers and like, oh, I thought I had gotten over this because I just no. told myself, get over it. I had gone through two therapists, the first therapist. Um, first of all, let me tell your listeners, here's the deal. You need to shop for a therapist like you shopping for a house or a car. It's a major purchase. You don't yep. you don't jump with the first one that you see and say, okay, I got a therapist. I'm going to be instantly better now. You have to find someone that you can emotionally and mentally connect with. So my first therapist, when I told him about my childhood trauma, the first thing he asked me was, are you gay? Typically, people who have been molested by someone of the opposite, opposite sex, now they don't like the opposite sex. Meaning, I was molested by men, so now I'm not supposed to like men anymore, and I'm supposed to be with women. 
So that completely turned me off because that's not why I was there. I never heard that, to be honest. That is exactly what he told me. And I was like, okay, so we're not even on the same page of what I'm here for. I'm not here fighting sexuality. I'm here fighting this part of sexual the sexual molestation not my you know do i like girls do i like boys i wasn't even in that spectrum so that was an epic failure so then i went to another therapist and she threw me on drugs she threw me on prozac obviously it was a psychiatrist so because a psychiatrist can prescribe yeah the psychiatrist can pres- prescribe right so threw me on prozac and i thought this is it I'm good. Just pop that pill every day. And, you know, it's the equivalent of about a couple glasses of wine a day. But when you decide to get off the Prozac, yeah, that is the, oh my gosh. I mean, it took everything in my power to shower, um, to especially, um, I went through the motions of getting my son ready for school dropping him off at school. I mean, you would have never known from the outside that I was a hot fucking mess. You would never know it. I made sure because I'm still in this mode of trying to be perfect for everyone else. So everything right here, the exterior, oh, I was good. You were like, Anissa? What's wrong with Anissa? No, she's always smiling. She's always happy. She's always the life of the party because that was my protection. That was my barrier to not expose myself to anybody else. So right. once I decided I had to get off the Prozac, and it was like, it was like, oh my gosh! Then you went through that phase. I'm a terrible person. I'm not worthy. I hate my. I mean, it, it, it's ten times worse than dealing with the sexual, you know, molestation. So, like I said, it's been a journey, um, but I can confidently say I wouldn't change anything because it has made me into this person that I am. How did you intertwine your book? So let's talk about a little bit about your book. Do you have a copy of your book today? I do. Yep, I do. In, Invisible it, Lines? In, Invisible Lives, yes. So how I did this, I have always been a writer and I've always focused my writing on relationships. So I'm a blogger. I also wrote for a year for Rolling Out Magazine as their relationship uh, columnist. So I've always been very interested and intrigued with our minds and how our minds work. Um, Because we like to think that our minds are like a separate separate entity of our body where it's all one big machine working together. And we feel like at times, oh, that's my mind. I have no control over that. You know, my body does one thing, my mind does another. It's all one thing. So when I started going on my journey of self-discovery and really trying to dive deep into why Anissa does the things she do. Why does why does she not like this when it may come to sex? Or why does she not like that when it comes to people asking her questions? I mean, I went deep. I mean, I was reading self-help books, uh, spiritual books, um, meditation books, you name it. I was like, thirsty as hell trying to figure out how I can be the person that I know I'm supposed to be because the person that I am honestly I don't even know if I like her ass you know so it was that kind of thing so when I wrote Invisible Lives I wanted to talk about the importance of the role that childhood trauma plays on 
our adulthood and how we interact with others and how we relate to experiences and circumstances and situations that come up in everyday life and how if we don't get that right, we're going to have a, a warped sense of how things should be for us. So with Invisible Lives, I I threw everything in this book but the kitchen sink. Or I may have thrown a kitchen sink in there too. Because my main Tell character... Us about it. Tell us about what, what's in the book. My main character is 34-year-old Olivia Campbell. By all rights, from the outside looking in, she's perfect. She's successful. She's uh, an entrepreneur with her own successful art gallery. She's great. You know, she came from a very affluent family um, that was, you know, the private, you know, the private country club setting, you know. Um, so she grew up not struggling, but yet she was struggling. Um, she had been hiding her sexuality pretty much all of her life. And she had a twin brother who, too, was hiding his sexuality. Unfortunately, his sexuality, his depression took him to thinking suicide was the way out. So he committed suicide. She never came out to her parents after that because she saw how, you know, in the black community, we're, we're not very accepting of things that don't fit our square or our norm of what we want for our families. And from this affluent family, having a gay son, uh, definitely 30 years ago, definitely didn't fit the norm. So she closed herself off. So as a result, she was battling depression. She had a terrible, terrible relationship with her, her parents as a whole. So that kind of definitely influenced how she handled situations or the lack of how she handled situations. Um, so she turned to having an eating disorder because she's still trying to be perfect, still trying to fit this mode of what she thinks others should expect from her without really looking in the mirror and getting to know that reflection is looking back at her. So she's battling that. And then I have a 17 year old character named Trey Williamson that is a product of the streets. You know, this book is based in Chicago. He's from the South side. Um, is hood. It's like, you know, you got to do what you got to do to survive. And he was by all rights, an unsuccessful drug dealer because um, he's only 17. So he's just trying to figure things out while not having the foundation to build from. So I take these characters through an emotional roller coaster. Um, but at the end of it and during that process, they start having this self-realization and self-acceptance and understanding the importance of living life by their own rules and not letting anybody What does that mean for that. you, Anissa, living your life by your own rules? What does that mean? Figure out what it is that makes you happy. Because I say all the time, if I'm making you happy and I'm not making me happy, then what is the point? Seriously. I know that there's times in, in, in relationships, especially if you're married or if you're in a long-term committed relationship, that you have to have some give and take, right? Some compromise, you know, sometimes, you know, like he wanted to go eat here and I wanted to go eat there, but I'll just go eat there because it's just easier. I'm not talking about that surface level, you know, compromise. That's easy. I'm talking about that that compromise where you're, you're compromising your your integrity, your emotions, emotional being, your, your mental well-being to 
to make someone else happy. I'm I'm a, I'm an absolute no to that. Do not sacrifice who you are at the core if the only sole purpose is to make another being happy. Because you yeah, but how do you do that? Because it's not easy. You got to start saying no. Yeah, you well, there say, you go. No you is your boundary. Saying no, no yeah. is your boundary. But you, but but and be prepared to follow up that no with a why. Because anytime you ask somebody, it's you. If I ask you something, Melissa, and you said no, 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 I don't think so. My in human instinct is going to be to what. I want to know why. Right. So in order, so for, so in order for you to successfully be able to articulate that no, you need to also be able to follow it up with a why. But you don't have and to. It can't be why. Where's your boundary? I say, well, I, I, I say that it depends on who that who that no is for. Now, if it's for someone that you're intimately involved with, someone that you you wholeheartedly care about, I I feel. That there may there is a need for a further explanation, but that no also depends on what the no is about. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I don't I don't think that there's a compromise where you are you are jeopardizing your integrity to make somebody yeah. else happy. Then that's a hard no. That's a hell no. Fuck no. Yeah. Whatever. And then that that's a period at the end of that sentence. The book is closed. We moved on to something else. But yeah. you know, I know it's being married and I'm on my third marriage, so I've learned a lot. And I learned what not saying no got me. And I know what saying no has gotten me. And I, I know now saying no and boundaries and being respectful, but being also authentically true to myself has made the marriage that I'm in now as successful as it as it is. Good. Because I've said no. Yeah. All right. So this has been a great conversation with you. I know um, we have some time left for you to kind of talk about how your book, you want to flash your book, show um, your book now and where people can find your book because I'm curious about both. And you have another book out as well, which I'm really curious about. Yes. So my first book um, is called Your Husband, My Man. Um, can two best friends love the same man? So this book is heavy on um, adultery, but with a twist, because we all know what adultery looks like. We don't need to go through that again. But it comes from an aspect of why, the why behind the adultery, because I believe that people just don't come into this world and just decide to be total fuck ups. It's normally right. a combination of what childhood trauma or childhood experiences and now you as an adult are trying to make decisions based on your childhood experiences and those two things if it ain't right it's gonna be it's gonna be two heads bumping each other so I focus heavy on that and um, your husband my man um, the spinoff if you want to call it a spinoff I took two of the, the same characters and, and put them in invisible lives and dove really deep into mental health in hence Olivia um, and Trey. You can find my books on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles. I can tell you now, it's like, I think until like September, it's like $1.99 on Kindle. But if you're a member of Kindle Unlimited, then the book is, the books are free. Definitely check me out on Amazon. If you are that person that you like an autograph book, you can head to my website, which is anissadblair.com. Order it from me and um, I will personalize it, sign it, mail it, send it right to you. How many pages is your book? I don't write short stories because I think, you know, I these characters deserve their full layout. So this particular book is 300 and 
86 pages. So I'm not a fly by night, you know, All right. write a hundred pages. That takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work because I, I've been writing pretty much all my life. I've been writing as long as I can remember. And um, I don't diss anybody else's writing style. Everybody does their thing their way. When I start writing a book, I don't say, okay, I'm going to write 385 pages. I stop writing when the story ends. Yeah. I feel like what I've tried to accomplish has been accomplished. So like my first book is not nearly as thick as this. So I just go with the universe and the message that I'm trying to get across and what God wants me to share. That's what it's all about for me. All right. Between the two authors that I've had on um, both of these, I've, it's motivated me to get my books out. I have them ready, um, but I've just been procrastinating. So between yourself and Shanika, who was our last author that we had on, Shanika Mayo, um, we I need to get going and get set up here and just such your story a can't be shared and I think if it stays in your head <laughs> you know procrastination could be part of the the childhood trauma too because it's a part of the confidence piece that's rolled in there yes. when and you know what if I offend someone because I'm telling this story that may be related to something else and so you set yourself up to to not do a lot of things because you're worried about what other people think and that comes that definitely comes from the trauma that you've experienced as a child and personally it, for me it was a compilation of things it wasn't just yeah. molestation you know I grew up in an alcoholic home I had people mm. pick on me because of the color of my skin it was just you know just a compilation a lot and yeah. you see I, I, I'm going to encourage you to definitely do it so like I said writing is my therapy writing mm -hmm. is my unofficial therapist um, because I'm able to pour tidbits of me into these characters and still be able to get what I need to get out of it while helping other people as well so Take your time, sis. Be patient with the process because once you put it out there, you know, it's hard when you try, when you're a creative soul because you're also putting yourself out there to be harshly judged. And you exactly. Don't live in this I have them ready. I've, I do write short stories. So I have my short stories ready, but it's just, you know, the criticism because my short story she my character's curse my characters may pre be promiscuous and then you got to worry about the saints you know, you know the saints, this is what yeah. you do this is what i'm gonna tell you this and I, I hope you're listening to me wholeheartedly no one can tell melissa's story but melissa no one has the power or you don't give anybody the power to dictate how your story goes because it's your story my characters cuss my characters are you know your husband my man obviously she's promiscuous this character is is gay am i gay no but i understand the different aspects of life and what we're going through and you're not writing a book to reach the sinners and the saints and and, and the, or these people who have this pre you know pre-judgmental idea of what they want you to be that's not for that, that's not your people you're trying to reach you're trying to reach the people that are like you the people who are broken or have been broken that are trying to figure out how to put that damn piece back together so leave the saints over there they got their own little genre of christian reading they can do that all damn day it's enough okay yeah, you, you you dealing with real life here. They can pick up the Bible. They can do whatever they need to do to get they fixed. That's not your people you trying to reach. 
So exactly. don't, don't try to fit into that mode. Don't try to take your square peg and put it in a circle because it's never going to fit. So do you. That's the word, sis. So where can people find you before we close out here on social media? This has really been an awesome opportunity to, to talk with you. I really enjoyed connecting with you. I learned a lot. Thank um, you. I hope so. And what an awesome smile you had to boot. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I, I say all the time that my, my mission in life, my passion and pur- purpose is to be impactful. That's going to look differently for everyone. So, and I and, and I can proudly accept at almost fifty because it took me damn ten years to get to this point that I'm not I'm not for everybody, but shit, everybody ain't for me either. So Word. it works both ways. Word. It works both ways. So, and I'm cool with not being your cup of tea because fuck, <laughs> I don't like tea, so I'm good with that. But <laughs> people can find me on Instagram at Anissa A N I S S A D Blair. Um, I'm on Facebook. Charles, you might see some ratchet shit. I, I just post whatever. I don't think it really matters at the end of the day. But um, obviously, you can, if you want to know the most about me, seriously, go to my website, anissadblair.com. You will find out a little bit of my media kit. If you're interested, I do public speaking. If you're interested in having me come and speak to you, maybe not church, because God's still working on me with my mouth. But um, I'm glad to, I do public speaking where I, I focus heavy on uh, motivational empowerment speaking um, for women and young adults. You can reach me, like I said, AnissaDBlair.com or AnissaDBlair on Instagram. I am an open book. I am a mentor to several different writers. So I, I don't hoard my gift. I share my gift. So Amen. if you ever need By me, the way, the Saints misconstrued cousin. Cussing doesn't mean the F-bombs that you drop or um, any of the cuss words. It means cursing a person. How you curse a person, tell them you will never do. Right, that is, right. that's it's cursing. Another, it's another damn word. That's how I look at it. It's just another word. Yes. F-bomb. <laughs> it's how I express myself. Don't take it personal. But, you know, I can be respectful, but I'm not going to totally just change who I am to make you comfortable. Because what is I just it? say, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I gave that enough time. I'm getting ready to hit 50, and it's all about me. Sorry, not sorry. That's it. That's it. But it has been a pleasure talking to you, Miss Anissa, and we hope to have thank you back you. soon. Um, thank you, listeners. Me. We really, truly hope you uh, enjoyed this episode. You can find this episode on YouTube as well. And everywhere that podcasts are streaming. And as always, I see you because I am you. You have just listened to the Girl Talk podcast with your host, Melissa Ann. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Until next time, remember, I see you because I am you.